The MarTech Podcast is a proud member of the I Hear Everything Podcast Network. Looking to launch or scale your podcast? I Hear Everything delivers podcast production, growth, and monetization solutions that transform your words into profit. Ready to give your brand a voice? Then visit IHearEverything.com. From advertising to software as a service to data. Across all of our programs and clients, we've seen a 55 to 65% open rate. Getting brands authentically integrated into content performs better than TV advertising. Typical lifespan of an article is about 24 to 36 hours. If we're reaching out to the right person with the right message and a clear call to action, then it's just a matter of timing. Welcome to the MarTech Podcast, a Ben J. Shap LLC production. In this podcast, you'll hear the stories of world-class marketers that use technology to drive business results and achieve career success. We'll unearth the real-world experiences of some of the brightest minds in the marketing and technology space so you can learn the tools, tips, and tricks they've learned along the way. Now here's the host of the MarTech Podcast, Benjamin Shapiro. Welcome back to the MarTech Podcast. Today, we're going to continue our discussion about a topic that is often confused or interchangeable with the term marketing, growth. Joining us is Kieran Flanagan, who is the VP of Growth Marketing at HubSpot, which is a leading growth platform comprised of a marketing hub, sales hub, and services hub, and a powerful free CRM. Prior to his role at HubSpot, Kieran held a variety of marketing and engineering roles at companies like Marketo, Salesforce, and Sun Microsystems. And yesterday, Kieran and I talked about his view of the differences between growth and marketing. And today, we're going to discuss his go-to growth strategies. Here's the second part of our interview with Kieran Flanagan, the VP of Growth Marketing at HubSpot. Kieran, welcome back to the MarTech Podcast. Hey, Brent. Great to be back. Great to have you here. We covered a ton of ground yesterday and got into a little bit of a philosophical debate about the difference between growth and marketing. We talked about how organizations can create a growth team, a marketing team, where the dividing line between growth, marketing, engineering, and product all are. It is a very nuanced topic. So however you decide to structure your team, I think one of my biggest takeaways is that growth is very much a mindset where you are thinking about the various stages in your funnel. What is your customer acquisition channel? What do you need to get person from an initial impression through your conversion funnel and then on to being a monetized customer? I want to talk to you today about some of the various growth strategies that you've tested and what you've seen work for HubSpot specifically, and also some of the other companies that you've talked to. Walk us through some of your go-to strategies for driving growth. I think most companies, the problematic part is how do I scale user acquisition or just the top of my funnel? That's actually the always hardest thing to do. I think when you have a lot of people coming into your product, the activation and monetization are things that you can fully own because the difference between trying to move the needle on like an activation metric or a monetization metric, or if you're in a typical B2B company, the kind of lead to customer close rate is you fully own those metrics you are fully able to make changes on them without having to kind of answer to anyone else. And what I mean by that is on top of the funnel, we're kind of dependent upon platforms, right? We're dependent upon Google, we're dependent upon the social media platforms, dependent upon these other channels that we need to actually acquire an audience from. 
So there's a couple of things that I think have, will help marketers and people who are trying to grow a repeatable funnel for a product that I've learned over the years. The first one is actually, and this is a, I have to give a quick shout out to Brian Balfour and the crew at Reforge because they have some really great content and they have a great courses on teaching people how to do this. But the first one is really understanding how your business grows. And I don't know if many people sit down and try to map out the mechanics of how the business will actually grow. And that means you build a quantitative model and a qualitative model. For example, if I'm sitting down for HubSpot and let's say I have to build out, how do I grow over the next 12 months to hit my revenue numbers? And then I look at, okay, well, I have these direct channels, which are SEO and paid and some other channels. And then I have other channels, what we would call virality and what Brian Balfour and that crew call loops. And they have really good content around that. And loops are... How do new users uh, actions acquire net new users, right? So for us, for example, we have a feature, a meetings tool. And each time someone books a meeting with someone else, you'll see that tool and you'll see that's from HubSpot. And we have some people who will sign up and start using that meetings feature themselves. So we will go down, see how do we acquire people through these different channels? Okay, how do we activate these people and how do we monetize them? And we will predict out the next 12 months how we will grow if we just pull that spreadsheet forward. And by doing that, we can start to look at where are the gaps in our model? Where do I need to accelerate my growth? And as particularly for companies who are always need to grow the top of the funnel, what channels am I about to plateau on? Like that I actually have scaled to a point where there's not much more I can do. So I actually need to start to invest in new opportunities for growth. And I want to do that before I've actually reached the end of some of these other channels to make sure that I don't just like suddenly stop growing. So I think that's one thing that really has always helped us is we always build a model that's 12 months in advance. And then we will look every month to see how we are growing against that model to see where our hypotheses were correct and where we were wrong. The interesting thing that pops out to me is you're trying to make some assumptions and validate a model that works. And the first thing that you said is the hardest part of driving a growth model is the customer acquisition and that you control activation and monetization. I actually assumed you would say that the hardest part is not getting people to the front door. You can go and buy advertising and get people to show up to your website. Obviously, there is lots of nuance. You can create content. There's a bunch of different options to do customer acquisition. I think the hardest part is once you get someone to your front door, how do you get them through the funnel and get them to pay for something as opposed to how do I place an ad on Facebook? That is not that complicated. Okay, so if you have found product market fit, and if you are starting to scale the top of your funnel, chances are you've found product market fit and that you have something within your product that people value. And can you improve upon that? Yes. And do you need to work on monetization? Yes. And activation? Are those things hard? I guess my point on the top part of the funnel is you're just in less control. So your point, can you just spin out a Facebook ad and that's an easy way to get people within your product? Maybe, maybe for some companies you can do that. For a lot of B2B companies, you wouldn't be able to do that because Facebook's just not a good fit. But you also don't control the mechanics because if it is a good fit for you and we're in a competitive world, chances are it's a good fit for hundreds of other companies who will also start to advertise within Facebook, driving up your costs. And then it's just a game of how well do you monetize that demand and how well can you keep the unit economics from paid looking good as you scale. And the one thing I will guarantee on paid is there's a point where you hit a ceiling and their returns you get start to diminish. So yeah, I think you do have businesses that they can just scale through paid and that looks really great. A lot of the gaming companies actually do that, uh, do that very well. They scale through paid. But I always think that the challenge of not being in control 
of the top part of the funnel and not being able to control how Google changes its algorithm. And today it's eating up everyone else's search traffic because they're just scraping all the people's content and showing their own content. That worries me more. And maybe it's just because it's in my nature than actually being able to convert people and activate those people and monetize those people. If I've already found product market fit, I'm assuming that you already have found product market fit and you've found a group of people who find your product valuable and are willing to pay for it and retain at some sort of rate. We should totally start a marketing company because I think the opposite. I think getting somebody <laughs> to the website is the easy part. Getting them through the website and getting to buy something is the hard part. It sounds like you're on the opposite side. That probably, like we mentioned in the last episode, structuring your growth and marketing teams often has to do with what talent you have and where's their expertise and interest. It sounds like we do not overlap in terms of what we think is the challenge. We should work on a project together, but go <laughs> on. <laughs> So yeah, building that predictable model, figuring out how you're going to allocate resources and focus for the rest of the year. The other thing that I've definitely learned from working with product and engineering is the thing that marketers maybe do not do enough of is customer research. So that's the thing I find is now more valuable to me than anything else, like just talking to customers, reading through all of the notes of the interviews we do. We have always been pretty big promoters of building out your buyer personas and having a very clear understanding of who are the people that your product is valuable for and everything else revolves around that persona and is mapped to that persona. But I've got even more obsessed by that when I started to work more with product and engineering because what they're really great at is, and I make speech generalizations and I got in trouble with LinkedIn for doing this and people give out to me and said I was really being harsh on marketers and I am a marketer. I don't know if people think I'm not one, but I am. But I feel like marketers are quite solution oriented and I am myself and I will jump to a solution. And what product and engineering are really great at is articulating a problem. They don't ever think about the solution until they're very, very clear on the problem. And for them to really clearly articulate that problem, they do a lot of customer research and a lot of customer interviews. And only after they are very clear on the problem, they start to think about the solution. And I do think that is an important thing for marketers to think about is when you are planning out the things you're going to do for the coming year, the coming quarter, coming month, however you plan, like how clear are you on the problem that you are trying to solve over those coming months? And are the things that you're trying to do a good solution for that problem? So I think it's interesting where we disagree is what the hardest part of the growth funnel is. You know, I think that the top of the funnel is the easy part and the middle and bottom of the funnel is the hard. You see it the opposite way. But I do 100% agree with you that the answer to figuring out how to optimize each stage of the funnel is to understand who you are talking to and what their pain points are so you can create a solution. And I absolutely think that often the customer research falls into the product teams trying to build a product for a specific person or a persona. And that is a app that is a practice that marketers need to apply more often. It has been the central pillar of my consulting practice, which is I come into companies that are trying to figure out what their marketing strategy should be. And I'm the first person that reaches out to their customers and asks them how they think about the problem and what are they trying to accomplish. Right. That is the $25,000 of consulting advice is go talk to 10 customers and ask them about who they are, what their problems are, and what they're trying to accomplish. Yeah. And I think it's interesting right? because as marketers or just people who are trying to do this, you've never been so spoiled with the amount of data and analytics you can look at. But actually, for all of those numbers, just go talk to real people and you'll probably learn a lot more. And I think that's what I find. 
Yeah, there is a qualitative and quantitative strategy. And I feel like with the amount of data and technology that is being thrown at marketers, it is very easy to sit here and say, well, I get higher clicks on this ad. So my marketing strategy is to get that ad out there more often, as opposed to going and talk to your customers and asking where they want to look for your products. Exactly. I recap and I'll go into my third Hopefully you think the model is a good idea. We just disagree on the parts of the model that are hard. That, that are challenging. <laughs> yeah. The customer research part that I think we both agree on. And then the third thing that's worked really well for us, and it's been a slight change recently, like the thing we've always excelled at is in my marketing, right? And that's the way we've grown and the way our customers have managed to grow. And we do a lot more than that now, but it turns out it works really well if you create value for people. In my marketing is that content and search partnership where we create a lot of valuable content. We acquire a lot of search traffic because of that. And recently, something that's worked really well is we've kind of separated our content teams. We think a lot about how do we win the hearts and minds of every business leader with an SMB and mid-market. So like, how do we really win the hearts and minds of each of those people? And the mind for us, we've come to the conclusion is how do I create tactical content through search that acquires people on the things that they are looking for. So I solve a problem for them that they're looking for right then. It's very tactical content. And we have a very systematic way to create this whole editorial calendar of content that we create around things that we know have existed in traffic. And that for us is mind content. And then we have another content team that has another edit. So we have a mind editorial calendar and we have a heart editorial calendar. And the heart editorial calendar is how do we get people to connect with our mission and feel very passionate about the problems that we are trying to solve for them. And that content is more around how do I create an emotional connection with my audience? And actually the channels differentiate. Like on the mind, Google's a great channel for mind because it has existing search traffic. And you're really just trying to pull people in who are already looking for something. The heart, you're trying to actually change minds. And things like social media, podcasting, videos are better kind of channels for heart content. So that's worked really, really well for us. We saw some really great growth over the last 12 months by really thinking about our content in that kind of subtle change in the way we think about our content. The interesting thing to me is we talk about growth tactics. We sort of talked about, hey, you have to understand who your customer is and you can do paid advertising, but you're talking a lot about content strategy. So the first step here in terms of user acquisition is creating content. There are different formats of content, heart versus mind content, different types of fidelity, different purposes, research as opposed to education. But you're basically trying to get someone to your content to a platform, and that is the initial impression for them, or that is what is getting them to the beginning of your funnel, right? You're, you have a very rich content strategy, which serves as a user acquisition channel. A special thanks to our presenting sponsor, Mutinex. Ready to take your team from I think to I know? Then join brands like Samsung, ING, and Asahi who make better marketing decisions with Mutinex. Mutinex Growth OX, the marketing mixed modeling platform that makes measuring ROI fast, easy, and cost-effective. Request a demo at mutinex.co. That's M-U-T-I-N-E-X dot co. Time for a one-minute break to hear from our presenting sponsor, Mutinex. In 1919, John Wanamaker said, half the money I spend on advertising is wasted. I just don't know which half. Well, the advertising landscape has changed since then, and instead of reaching your audience on two channels, you're probably reaching them on 20. Turns out John didn't know how easy he had it. But that doesn't mean that you should give up on striving towards marketing effectiveness. 
No matter how complex your marketing strategy is, Mutinex Growth OX is the market mix modeling platform that measures the impact of marketing on your bottom line. Mutinex's market mix modeling platform calibrates your insights against the latest market conditions so you can make media and marketing investment decisions confidently and quickly. Ready to take your team from I think to I know? Then join brands like Samsung, ING, and Asahi who make better marketing decisions with Mutinex. Mutinex Growth OX, your best decision starts here. To learn more about Mutinex, go to mutinex.co. That's M-U-T-I-N-E-X dot co. Okay, here's the rest of today's interview. Once you get someone engaged and they have the brand impression and they got to your content and now they are a prospect for HubSpot, how are you getting them through the funnel? So here's a sneak peek that I can go into. One of the things that we started to do is actually when we would do that and create that content, now it depends upon the next step for you to go and sign up for the product. And there's some of the content we create, the next step is naturally you would want to sign up for the product to do something within the product because we have a whole freemium layer. Or you would go and download that content and we would send you some emails, not much, but we're most successful year was on email last year. And the way we were really successful is we stopped sending so much email. <laughs> it turns out that was a really great tactic. Less email, more valuable email. Exactly, right? And that's the world we live in today is you need to over-index in value and not over-index in quantity. Can you quantify some of that? Like how much email were you sending and what is too much and what is when you slim down when you're in your onboarding? Yeah, I don't have the exact numbers, but we reduced the amount we sent by about 40%. And what we did was we moved a lot of that communication to chat. Mm-hmm. We invested heavily in both chat and bots. So we released our own product last year, Conversations. And so when you go to interact with us on our website or all these different places, and even within the app today, so if you go in and sign up for a free software, depending upon, depending on how you sign up, you can actually interact with either a bot or you can reach out to someone to talk live chat. And we ran a bunch of experiments and find that that's how people wanted to communicate with us. A lot of people want to communicate with us is actually through chat. They wanted instant answers. So that's how we would nurture them. If we were basically, you would either be able to chat with us or we would send you some email. The thing that we started to do actually is we have this freemium platform where people are signing up for it. And we have this other kind of content funnel where people are downloading content. What we started to do is actually just move a lot of our content into an app. So you can actually sign up for HubSpot and you get this whole learning center where you can consume all of this free content. And when you're learning that content, you can start to implement it within our free tools. So we've combined both. So by doing that, we're able to actually onboard you to your content. And it's very early days. We're at the very early stages of this. But in the same way, we would be able to onboard you to software. So it sounds like your activation strategy is A, a freemium model. You're providing value not only in your content, but you're actually giving access to a light version of the software. And then you're supplementing that with some onboarding emails just to make sure that you're continually staying in touch with the customers if they're not on the platform. But you're also enabling the customers to get instant answers through chat. Yeah. So if I give you the simplistic way of how we take people when they've come in through the front door, it's within the product, you will be onboarded to the feature that we know you care about because we know based upon your signup path. So we try to figure out what's the most valuable thing for you to do straight away after you've signed up, because if you're going to increase your activation rate, there's a small window where you need to be able to show value and you need to get into that value in a short amount of time. So we do that through onboarding within the app and we do that through email nudges. 
an email nudge is basically through your usage. We know you've done this thing. So we send you a small nudge through email to help you learn more about that feature. So that's generally how we onboard people. And then if you are stuck, if you are at a point of friction within the app, you can reach out via chat. And if you're on our website and you want to learn more, you can reach out via chat. So what we're trying to make sure a person has is they have the way that they want to communicate with us at any given point of time. So they choose the way that they want to communicate with us and they choose the way they want to buy our product. So we're really obsessed with this kind of force and friction. It's really how we think about our whole business. We think about it as a flywheel and we think at each point in the flywheel, which is attract, engage, delight, we think about force and friction. So what are the things driving people through that flywheel and what are the friction points of friction hindering people from going through that flywheel? So a good example of a point of friction would be someone coming into the product and getting lost or not knowing how to do the thing they wanted to do. So you would resolve that point of friction by creating better onboarding or creating better email nudges. Yeah, it sounds like a big part of what you're doing is also trying to keep momentum. When you get someone onto the platform, you're trying to give them as much information when they're ready for it as quick as possible. Give them the instant answers so they don't leave the platform. Like if moving away from email and having them leave and try to come back, that is a friction point. Having them in the platform, getting the answer and moving forward is going to increase your conversion rates. Yes. Okay. Talk to me about your strategy for driving monetization. So you're engaging these customers, you're educating them on their platform. How do you get them to pull the credit card out of their pocket? I guess this is another part of the growth experiments that we've run over the years. We invested a lot of time in trying to figure out what we call our product qualified lead model. So we have three types of PQLs and they've evolved a lot. The three types of PQLs we had were a triggered PQL, where you could use a feature for a certain length of time, and then you would upgrade to use that on an ongoing basis. We had gated features where you could only get access to that feature if you upgraded to a pay tier. And then we just had usage PQLs. So we knew by your usage patterns that you were actually a good fit for one of our paid products. Today, actually, we have everything. What we realized was the most successful upgrade points or PQL was actually triggered so that you can give people access to all of the features and they can use them in some meaningful way and then upgrade when they've actually extracted some value. So the product growth team today spend a lot of their time trying to figure out and it's a real tough balance for freemium companies, how I can provide you with enough value that you enjoy that free tool and you get value from that free tool. And it's sticky, right? You want people to become addicted to it. Exactly. That you're like, oh, but there's something within there that makes upgrading a no-brainer. So Dropbox had the perfect model, right? Because you're using that and it's a no-brainer to upgrade to get more space. You don't even think about that. And there's the opposite side of that is like, I always use this example and I hope they never hear these things. They'll be really annoyed at me, but do you use Evernote? I do. Do you pay for it? I do. I don't know why. Okay. So you're one of the few people that I've asked that question that pay for it. And it's interesting. You don't know why, but Evernote are a good example, right? Of a company that a lot of people use that product and they probably didn't get their upgrade points, right? I think it has to do with, I wanted to use it on multiple devices. Okay. I'm so glad you said that because that was when they started to try to become more aggressive around their PQL points. That was one of the PQL points they put in that I think was really great. So you have to get that balance, right? Like you don't want to be Evernote where people are using your product and they have no idea why they upgrade. And then you don't want to be the other brand where you release a free product and people don't get enough value from the free product. So they don't ever think about the paid product. They're just like, oh, this is awful. My free experience wasn't great. And getting that balance, right? That's what we spend a lot of our time trying to figure out how to do that. 
There's a funny PQL that comes up to mind where I love Airtable. We're super reliant on the free experience to do all of our content management and notifications when the ownership of a piece of content needs to be transferred to somebody else in our production funnel, right? Going from me to do the interview, to our editor, to our production assistant. Airtable is great for that. I really want to upgrade the calendar features. And to do that, I'm the only person that looks at the calendar and I would have to upgrade the entire team. So it would be like $1,200 a year for me to color code the calendar. And I'm like, I just want to upgrade it for myself. It drives me nuts. They have to figure that out. But customizing the upgrade options to meet the individual person's needs, I think is a very important part that is overlooked. They're treating me as an individual like a large organization, even though I'm just trying to upgrade my individual account, not the entire team. Yeah, it's funny you mentioned Airtable because we're huge fans of Airtable and I love looking through freemium products and how they're going to upgrade users. And I was wondering because everyone I spoke to companies were using their free product, but I think they're starting to really figure out how they monetize that. And that monetization part is really, really hard. Yeah. I think upgrading individuals, not upgrading teams. I think that there's a big difference. Like Evernote is essentially a consumer product and their business model is a commercial model. And that's where there's a disconnect for me, but not to go into too much detail about them. Unless somebody from Airtable is listening to this podcast, then by all means, just let me upgrade my calendar. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. Any other tips on monetization optimization strategies? I think the things that we've invested in, again, we have two different types of models. We have the traditional B2B SaaS funnel. And a lot of what we've done there is get better in terms of the email we send. The reasons we send that email is based upon actions, that we send less emails. And we've invested a lot more in chats to make sure people can get those responses. And then within the funnel business, within the freemium business, it's really getting that balance right between free, paid, We did a lot of experiments, actually how people wanted to interact with us within the product. So historically, the way you would upgrade would be to click a modal and reach out to a salesperson. And we did a lot of experiments and to show that our revenue would look better if that person could chat within the product itself. And also if they wanted to book time with a sales uh, rep, like even a small thing that they used to set out a form, the rep would get back to them and book a demo. And we built in the ability for that person to just bring up the rep's calendar within the app itself and put time on the rep's calendar. And that small change had about a 20, 30% increase in our conversion rate. So it's really figuring out how people want to buy your products. That's kind of what I came to in terms of the conclusion around monetization. Yeah, I guess the last question I have for you is, you know, we talked a lot about what HubSpot's growth strategies are across the funnel. What are some of the tools that you recommend? I'm sure HubSpot is on the list, but for people that are interested in running some of these growth experiments, driving new customers, getting activation, figuring out monetization, are there tools that you rely on or ones that you recommend? I guess we're just fortunate that a lot of the stuff we use is custom. We do use Amplitude for our product funnel. That's a pretty good tool. But nothing comes to mind in terms of other things we use to run a lot of the monetization stuff. It's really all internal tools through the HubSpot platform itself. Yeah. So it sounds like your go-to, and this is maybe a little biased, but you're using HubSpot to manage your growth strategy because HubSpot is a growth-based platform. Amplitude looks like it's an analytics platform. Yep. Okay. If you want to get like good visibility on your retention rates and your day seven retention rates and your all these different things, that's what we use Amplitude for. 
Great. Well, Kieran, I appreciate you coming on the show and walking us through not only the differences between marketing and growth, but talking us through your growth strategies and how you're driving growth at HubSpot. So thank you for your time and for being a guest on our show. I've really enjoyed it. Thanks for having me, Ben. All right. That wraps up this episode of the MarTech Podcast. Thanks to Kieran Flanagan, the VP of Growth Marketing at HubSpot for joining us. To learn more about Kieran, you can click on the link in our show notes to his LinkedIn profile. You can send him a tweet at searchbrat, S-E-A-R-C-H-B-R-A-T, uh, or you could visit his company's website, which is hubspot.com. A couple of follow-up links in our show notes to tell you about. If you didn't have a chance to take notes while you were listening to this podcast, don't worry about it. We have you covered. Just head over to martechpod.com where we have summaries of all of our episodes and contact information for all of our guests. If you're a subscriber to the MarTech Podcast, thanks for being a member of our community. We'd love to hear from you. So we created benjshap.com slash questions where you could send us topic suggestions or your marketing questions, which we'll answer live on our show. Of course, you can also reach out on social media. My handle is benjshap, B-E-N-J-S-H-A-P on LinkedIn and Twitter. And if you haven't subscribed yet and you want a weekly stream of marketing, you want a daily stream of marketing and technology knowledge in your podcast feed, we publish episodes every workday. So hit the subscribe button in your podcast app and we'll be back in your feed tomorrow morning. And if you prefer to have our content delivered to your inbox, we have a once a week newsletter that has links to our audio players, episode summaries, and guest contact information. So go to benjshap.com newsletter and we'll be in your inbox at the end of the week. Okay, that's it for today. But until next time, my advice is to just focus on keeping your customers happy. Thanks for listening to the MarTech Podcast, and I hear everything production. Looking to launch or scale a podcast like this one for your brand? Then visit IHearEverything.com.